to drink from my bitter cup of suffering that I'm about to drink? Are you able to be baptized with the baptism of suffering I must be baptized with? Oh, yes, they replied. We are able. Then Jesus told them, you will indeed drink from my bitter cup and be baptized with the baptism of suffering. Then Jesus told them, you'll indeed drink from my bitter cup and be baptized with my baptism of suffering. But I have no right to say who will sit on my right or my left. God has, has prepared those places for ones he has chosen. When the 10 other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were so indignant. So Jesus called them together and said, you know what the rulers in this world lord it over their people and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. It's all about Jesus. Jesus is a life changer. The doors of our church are open to anyone who will walk through those doors. Jesus died for all. No matter what your past, no matter where you are right now, God loves you. But Jesus is a life changer. We say, come as you are. Now, that doesn't mean, Mark, you can come in your pajamas. I guess you could. In case you didn't hear that, he said, I would. <laughs> Amber wouldn't let him. <laughs> come as you are. But it is always our prayer that you will go home changed, not by us, but by the preaching of the Word of God, by the movement of the Holy Spirit, and the action of Jesus Christ in your life. Jesus is a change agent. He changes lives. Our purpose as a church is to introduce you to Christ, to teach you how to walk with Christ, every day of your life, not just on Sunday, and to be changed because of His presence and His work in your life. For that reason, our purpose is to be a life-changing church because our Savior, Jesus Christ, is a life-changer. Now, we've talked about change throughout this time. We, we've talked about change by trusting Christ as, as Savior. We've talked about change by building your life upon the Word of God. Uh, Macy, not just reading it, and I've pushed that pretty hard, haven't I? Um, not just reading it, Charlotte, but living it, doing what Jesus said. Now, you can't do what Jesus said if you haven't read the Bible and you know what He said. I've talked about changing your life by loving the church the way Jesus loved the church. 
And we've been saying for over a year now, I love my church because my church loves Jesus. And I hope you can say that. I hope you have said that to others and you brought people to hear the gospel of Christ because you've said to them, I love my church. Jesus is the change agent and he works through us. I, I talked about changing your life, about changing by changing your attitude toward giving, to be as generous and loving, using your finances to glorify God, not just giving your tithe, but using all your finances in a way that will glorify God. And our message today and the final in the series, this is actually, I haven't named them all, this is number six, and you're probably ready for me to move on to that. When I say the final in the series, Karen, people smile just like when I say, and finally, by the way, you know what it means when a Baptist preacher says, and in conclusion, nothing at all. <laughs> nothing at all. But our, our message today is about the command to serve. Serve. Now, when Sam, when I think about serving, some people will think about Serena Williams as she stands there in the proper place and, and she, she reaches up and she takes, you know, the racket and tosses the tennis ball and hits the tennis ball like a rocket so that the person on the other end of the court has no hope in returning her serve. You know, that's just the opposite of what Jesus had in mind when he was talking about being a servant and serving others. In fact, I think, Scotty, I think that's a, an apt description of how the world thinks about serve. Let me have the upper hand. Let me win in this. I want to be, Jerry, I want to be as intimidating as I can be. And that is the world's philosophy, success through intimidation, manipulation, using people, but that's not serving. I saw a good example of serving yesterday. I saw a group of people, Brenda said to me this morning on the way, and I can't believe we're doing this ourselves. I mean, we got a project of redoing the dining room, and instead of hiring professional painters, we had two professional painters out there yesterday, people who truly are professionals, they make their living at that, who are donating their time, serving the Lord and serving the church. And then there were others who know how to paint, and then I was there, learning, serving, serving. If you're going to, to change your life, if you're going to have life change, you have to learn to serve instead of being served. By the way, most people go to a church. Now, I know every pastor wants to think his congregation's different, and 
Ed, I think my congregation is different. I don't think you came here to be served today. But the typical church member wants to know, the typical guest wants to know, what is that church going to do for me? What kind of ministries do they have that, that I can enjoy, that will have an impact on my family? Roxanne, what, what does the church offer me? Is that really why you should go to church? On the other hand, I've said to you before, I don't want church members. I don't want people coming to join our church who come with the attitude of, you really need me. I've got something to offer you, and you're not going to make it without me. That, that's as bad as the people who come for what they can get. That's an arrogant attitude. You know what God wants? He wants people who come with an attitude of, I need this church. And I need a place that I can worship God and I need a place that I can learn about God. I need a place that is life-changing. And I need to be able to get in on what's going on. I need a place to serve. Our philosophy is it's better to have many people serving and doing not quite as good a job as a professional would rather than having a few perfect people Doing everything. Anybody here perfect? Oh, I'm not going to put my hand up. Our goal, Samantha, is for every member to serve in some way at some time. And, and I'm proud of those who have done that. Charles, I can't, I can't stand up here and not mention that you're in the room. Did everybody notice that? Let's give Charles a hand. I came up behind Tom and Cordella, by the way, and, and shocked them. I gave them a hug from behind. Tom didn't know what in the world was going on. Let's, let's give Tom a hand. I'm glad to see him here this morning. That is a blessing. I'm proud of all of you, you teachers, the deacons. I'm proud. Did, did you see how many people we had on the stage this morning? Isn't that a blessing? We, we have many who are coming to serve and service rather than being served is life changing now I want you to notice how to change your life forever to, to be changed to serve you have to recognize the danger of a me first attitude that is our nature me first it, do you have to ch teach your children that? Oh no, Jackie, they come built that way, right? You, you, your kids come built with a me first attitude. It's mine, Loretta. It's mine. Me first. Mine, mine, mine. And that is dangerous. Uh, Jesus said, they came and asked for a request. What is your request? When you sit on your glorious throne, we want to sit in places of honor, get this, next to you. 
We want to, of all these others, we want to be first. One of us on your right hand and the other on the left. You know, Todd, that actually makes both of them first. One on the right, one on the left. But first, Jesus said to them, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering I'm about to drink? Are you able to be baptized uh, with the baptism of suffering I must be baptized with? The me first attitude is an attitude of pride. Notice they answered the question I just read by saying, oh yeah, we can do that. If that's what it takes, man, that's rotten. We can do that. We can handle that. By the way, ironically, Jerry, they would. They would suffer. Every one of those apostles died in some awful manner. Not just Judas Iscariot, all the rest of them. Are you able to suffer are you able to drink the cup of suffering and be immersed in suffering the way that I will be? Oh, yeah, I can do that. By the way, when somebody starts a ministry, Dwayne, and they say, I'm just not sure I can do that. That's an indication they're qualified. When somebody, Shelley, comes and says, I can do that. I can handle that. Scares me to death that I might step into the pulpit at some point, Rita, and think, well, I can do this. I can, I can do this. This will be a good sermon. I can do this. God, that's dangerous for a preacher. Absolutely. I, I love it that my next pastor comes up and prays for me, Larry, before I get in the pulpit. That means a lot. And he said to me after he prayed, he looked at me and said, you can do this. You'll do well. Oh, that's, I don't want to think that, Vince. That's not what I need to hear. I need to hear God will use you. God will enable you. We have to be careful about pride. We have to be careful about ambition. They exhibited ambition. We want the big seats. We want the important seats. I was talking with the praise team this morning about going and the, and the music director was sitting on the stage and I, I didn't notice, but Brenda said that he shouldn't have been sitting up there. And I said, well, why not? She said, you didn't see the glum look on his face through the whole sermon? I don't know, but I, I remember, um, I've, where's Cheryl sitting this morning? Or she's, there she is. I remember watching the services at Texarkana. Roger was preaching and the choir was sitting behind him. That is not a good idea. There was one woman, one guy, you know, one on the other. One woman was sitting there. She had the office look on her face. I mean, that face could have been painted on poison bottles. I'm, I'm telling you. And, and there was a guy, Cheryl, who went to sleep during the sermon, and it's being broadcast. It's being recorded. How did I get there? They, they wanted the seats on the stage. They wanted the look at me position. Ambition is counter-Christian. 
It is not what Christianity is all about. We have to be careful about political plans and schemes. I used to think, Charles, that ABA Missionary Baptist Churches had a monopoly on idiocy. And then my daughter married a Southern Baptist, and I discovered we don't have a monopoly on idiocy. Other churches have the same political schemes, the same division, the, the same things going on, Tim, behind the scenes, somebody manipulating, I want the high seat, I want the attention, this is my preference, and I expect my preferences to be met. And I will work behind the scenes in order to get this done. They came to Jesus with a political plan. Listen, pride, preferences, and politics can destroy a church. Said when the ten heard it, I mean the two have gone with this political scheme, when the ten heard it, they began to be greatly displeased with James and John. That same thing, pride, preferences, and politics usually result in jealousy, competition, and division. And no church needs that. Churches, uh, we've joked at times that ABA churches multiply by division. If, if you see a church, and I'm probably going to offend somebody by using these names, but if you see a church and see a church sign, John David, if, if the name of the church is Unity, Harmony, or Peace, or New Beginnings, you know where it came from. That's a split from somewhere else. And splits usually come when there's a powerful family in the church or there's an older preacher in the church who had a following and he no longer does or there's somebody who thinks that everything has to be done their way. Now since I just said that, I want Charles and Nancy to know I'm not talking about them. Charles has been a great friend and a great help in this church, and I appreciate him. But we've not always had unity in our church. Those, I, I'll be open with you. I stepped into a bad situation, and one of my friends said to me, I hope you survive it. And there was a point before Todd came, I wondered whether I was going to or not. It wasn't your fault. It was simply the load I was carrying and the effects of COVID. But listen, pride, preferences, and politics result in people being displeased. Jealousy, competition, and division. Jesus Christ loves Faith Baptist Church. Come on. Jesus Christ loves this church. And I do too. I said to you in the beginning, I'll be a strong leader, but I'll be a loving shepherd. Sometimes I realize you see the strong leader and you don't necessarily see the loving shepherd. Other times you may see the loving shepherd and not see the strong leader. But my goal is to be both because God loves this church and so do I.
So do I. We don't need division. We don't need competition. We don't need jealousy. The second thing we got to learn about serving is the different culture of the kingdom of God. It is a different culture than the world's culture. It's not the culture of intimidation, manipulation. It is a culture of service. So Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of this world lord it over their people, and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. Is that a good description of our world? I think so. Lording it, being a ruler and flaunting their authority. But among you, it will be different. It's got to be different. I remember years ago, and I'm really not sure who it was. I, I don't think it was Dallas Holmes. I don't know. Roger will tell me when the service is over, who sang this song about using people and loving things as opposed to loving people and using things. One is the world's culture. Use people because you love things And in order to get things, you use people. But the Jesus way is to use things and love people. Love people. Notice, that means seeking God's approval rather than fame. I was reading Chuck Swindoll. Uh, I, I love... Chuck Swindoll's preaching, and I know that he's an old preacher now, and I'm getting there, but I love his preaching, and I was a little surprised, Sarah, that Chuck Swindoll in in the article that I was reading was very critical. I mean, Todd, he's a big preacher at a big church, big name, but he was very critical of those who use their fame and use their big church as a platform to make themselves really appear to be somebody. Jesus is not in that. They may be popular. They may be wealthy. But Jesus is not in that. And we need to be sure that when we preach, when we teach, when we sing, when we serve, that we are playing to an audience of one and that we're seeking God's approval rather than fame. Paul said, who am I? Who's Apollos? God is everything. In fact, um, this is one of the places, Charles, where where the Greek is pretty cool. It says, I'm a zero. And Apollos is a zero and God's everything. We need to play to an audience of one. We need to seek God's approval. He said, this is how it is among the rulers of the world. They're seeking after fame, but it's not supposed to be that way with you. Are you serving in order to gain recognition? You need a heart change. 
You need to serve to the glory of Jesus Christ. You need service instead of selfishness. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your deacon. That's, I know you I probably should have put that in English. The word servant comes from the Greek word from which we get the word deacon. Diakonos is the word for deacon or servant. The first deacons were table waiters for their, first, for their fellow church members. Think about that. Somewhere along the way, even in seminary, I had teachers who told me there are two officers in the church, the pastor and the deacon. And they made the deacons the elders of the church. That's not biblical. They were not rulers. They were not people of authority. They were, they were table waiters. It means it, it's not a position of authority or a political power. It means being a servant. I am grateful for the family deacons at our church because they are our first line of service to our families. I'm going to brag on the deacon. When Pam Borquin's mother died, and some of you met her. She has attended our services. She was a member at First Baptist of Sylvan Hills. Thank you. And but she attended here a couple of times. And boy, she was proud of her church. I, I said something about, we're glad to have you with us. You're welcome anytime. She said, yes, but I'm a member at First Baptist of Sylvan Hills. Well, amen. I'm glad you love your church because I want our people to love our church. But when she died, the first people who were there was Basil Shoptaw. And June, her family deacon, showed up. That's what being a deacon is all about. It's not receiving complaints against the pastor. It's not to come in and settle problems. It is a position of service. And thank God for deacons who understand that. If we had deacons who understood it any other way, I would privately suggest to them, you need to understand, and if you can't handle it, then you probably ought to resign. I haven't asked a single deacon in our church to resign. In fact, I've had to beg some of them to come back because we need them. I'm proud of my deacons. Some of you laughed when I said, one of the things, Tim, I need, if I'm going to be your pastor, I need my deacons to deke. Well, that's, um, that's a made-up word. That's, there is no such verb, but they knew what I meant. And Larry, I'm proud of you guys. That's, it's service, being servants. But do you understand that he's saying not everybody's elected by the church had laid on hands to be a deacon, but everybody, every member of this church needs to serve like a deacon does. In fact, I, it wouldn't, mind, wouldn't bother me if that was a motto 
serve like a deacon. Serve like a deacon. Ladies, you can do that, right? Phoebe was called a deaconess. And it was not that she had an official hands laid on position in the church, but they saw her testimony and and said, she is a servant. She is a servant. Every one of us needs to serve like a deacon. We also need to serve like a slave. That is, love and gratitude instead of intimidation and manipulation. I've already talked about loving people and using things instead of the other way around. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave. Charles, Todd, that's doulos. That's that bond servant word. Must be the slave of everyone else. Doulos means a bond servant. It, it really means slave, but Bregan, it's a different qualification as a slave. It's not a bought slave. It's a person who has been bought just like all of you have been. By the way, you know that, right, Charlotte? You've been bought with a price. Kim, you've been bought with a price, and now we serve our master. But the bond servant is one who has the opportunity to be freed But he says, I love my master so much that I will be his voluntary slave for the rest of my life. What does that mean for us? Paul, it means I'll give up my pride. Tracy, I'll give up my plans. All my rights, Kim, all my rights and entitlement and my only ambition is to please my master and to be his best slave. That's a difference of attitude. You're talking about a cultural difference. That that is a huge difference of heart and attitude. I want you to, the third thing, that is Christ's demonstration of servanthood. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give His life a ransom for many. That means the death of entitlement. For even the Son of Man, that is a description in Daniel chapter 7 verse 13 of the Christ, the Messiah of Jesus. And he he got in trouble with the Jews because He called Himself the Son of Man, and they knew what He meant. Paul said you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had, though He was God. And that's what I'm talking about, about Michael, about the death of entitlement. Man, if there's anybody who was entitled, it was Jesus. But Roger, He didn't consider that something to be held desperately on to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. We are so entitled today and in a hurry to claim our rights, and that attitude destroys our marriages. The me-first attitude 
is the antithesis of the love, the loving relationship of a husband and a wife. It should always be Brenda first, Lynn next. Well, actually, God first, then Brenda, then me. And maybe it is God first, Brenda next, my church and my ministry, and me last. You understand, you have to give up your rights. That is countercultural. That attitude destroys marriages. It disrupts the workplace. Anybody have to deal with politics and selfishness in the workplace? Can I get an amen? amen? That's the world's way. But what are Christians supposed to be on the job? Oh, me. Can I get an old me? Nobody wants to do that. They like the amen. Nobody wants to admit that they struggle with that. It's destructive to our nation because so many today are entitled. I've been sinned against. Somebody has repressed me. Everybody hates me. I'm going to go eat worms. Anybody else grow up with that saying? And that entitlement, I deserve a wage that I can live on to buy anything I want, to have everything my parents had, I deserve for you to pay me. I don't want to work. I'm probably not going to work. But I deserve, I am entitled. That's my right. And by the way, it can also be the death of the church. I've done my duty, and I'm done. Are you dead? Listen, if you're still breathing, God's not through with you. The youngest of us can serve, and the oldest of us can serve. And God has left you here for a reason. Listen, I don't want what I deserve. Think about that, Ashley. I don't want what I deserve. Because the truth is, Jenny, I deserve nothing at all. Actually, I deserve just the opposite. I deserve punishment, separation from God. I don't want what I deserve. I want mercy. And I want grace. Then means not only giving up your entitlement, means surrender to suffering. Being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. We don't want to suffer. Hey, we don't want to even want to be inconvenienced. We don't want to give up anything. He suffered for our sakes. And we should be willing to suffer for Him. And then bowing to serve. Christ demonstrated service by bowing to serve. So He got up from the table, took off His robe, wrapped a towel around His waist, poured water into a, bas into a basin, 
Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. Think about that. This is the Son of God. This is the King of the universe. Took off his outer garment, wrapped a towel around his waist, and he bowed down before every one of them one at a time and washed their feet. By the way, it just occurred to me, I don't know if I'd thought about it till just now, but Samantha, did you notice he also dried their feet? He went the extra mile. His service was boundless. And I will tell you, I've said this to you before, you will never really understand what Christ meant when He said we should be a servant until we really have a picture in our mind of Jesus, think about it, washing the feet of Judas Iscariot. He knew he would betray him. And yet he washed his feet. Who is it that you would be unwilling to serve? Need to wash their feet. That's hard. Who is it that has really hurt you? Wash their feet. Who is it that you struggle with? Wash their feet. Give up your rights. Be a servant. And then finally, he demonstrated servanthood by dying to save. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life. That means dying as a ransom for many. His death was a payment, that is a ransom for our sins. Paul said this is a trustworthy saying and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners and I'm the worst of them all. Now Paul said that. Anybody here not a sinner? Feel free to raise your hand. We're all sinners. Said that to my class this morning, Don. We're all sinners. And Jesus Christ died for your saving. That means you need to trust Him. Listen, in case you haven't figured it out, Jesus paid everything that need to be paid and He has done everything that needs to be done for you to be saved. It's just up to you to receive the payment that He made. And that is your choice. Will you do that? Life change. How to change your life forever. Number one, trust Jesus and be saved. Number two, read your Bible every day. Make it a habit to attend church every week. Give willingly and generously And be a servant. Have the attitude and the heart of a servant. Let's stand together and bow our heads. Which of these do you need to do? Which of these 
do you need to commit to this morning? This is the end of this series. Have you made any commitment at all from the messages? Have these messages made any difference in your life at all? What will you do with this one? Which of those do you need to decide? Father, I thank you for the patience of the congregation as I wandered around this morning and you shared my heart. Lord, I hope your heart has come through the message as well. And I pray for a movement of your spirit in the congregation, in this building right now, even for those who are viewing from home. I pray that you would move in their hearts. Lord, make us different. Change our lives forever. Change us so that we live and we serve to your honor and your glory. Amen.